33, episode 33 of Talking Toro. I've been sick for about a week and feeling a lot better today, but my dear friend Robert uh, is not at his best, so be patient with him. Rob, uh, this is a bit of a review of the Milan game and a preview of the Cremonese match. Um, Milan was obviously a bit of a while ago. Now. I got three, three things on the Milan game. What was worse? Milan's kit, Teo Hernandez's hair, or Torino's attack? Uh, I think you got to go Teo Hernandez's hair, really. I think his, um, his hair colour looks probably about the how pale my face probably looks, which uh, the listeners at uh, wherever they're listening to this podcast, they're lucky enough not to be able to see that. But um, no, I think, yeah, teams who don't wear their home kit at home is a bugbear. I, it's not something which is massive. Like, I know a lot of people on Twitter get very angry about it if teams don't wear their home kits and things like that. Um, but yeah, Hernandez's air is dreadful and Serena's sack is dreadful. So I think they're probably all... I think it's... But- you could not, you could pick, not for me to ever agree with Dempsey on on the BT commentary, but he 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 didn't like the kit straight away, and I, like I I did have to agree. It just he looked really out of context, and it looked it blended in. It's so green, it just kind of seemed to blend in with everything. If we're gonna talk, um, about, if if we are just gonna talk about kits just for a second, still not the worst kit travesty of the weekend. So, you see Napoli's kit. They've, they've I give, I've given up on Na- Napoli. It is a Valentine's Day. It's a Valentine's Day kit, yes. Yeah, Napoli. I mean, this of all seasons to be to be. I mean, Napoli have had dreadful kits for ages because they've had that stupid big red sponsor on their kits, which I just think ruins it. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know what they're up to. But Milan's kit. I don't know. Just I wasn't. Feel, I wasn't well on Friday night, and it just it threw me off. It's like who we're we playing here and what we're doing and. And um, I, I was watching it. I was watching it at a pub and did have to tell people that Torino were in white um, a number of times um, because obviously the, I don't know. I don't know who they thought were obviously because yeah, if you were watching that game, and you didn't know either of the clubs. You would imagine that Milan were wearing the white kit because I don't know why. Why would they be wearing? It just that yeah, I did. It felt like Milan hadn't told Torino they were wearing that kit, and Torino could have turned up in the Granata and it. Might yeah, not looks look quite so bad, but I mean, despite the unfamiliarity of the kit, I thought it was a fairly familiar Torino performance at the San Siro. We said last week how few goals and how few points we got there. I mean, you got to say Milan. I mean, they were lying down for about the first half an hour, waiting for us to walk all over them. They were they were nervous or misplacing passes. They, I think they would have taken a point before this game. I really do, and. We, again, as I said last week, death by a thousand cuts. It was, we were quite neat in possession. We dominated the game, but we just had no cutting edge. I mean, Snabry had a few chances. I thought criticism of him was a bit harsh on some of the misses. But, and I think that criticism is because we didn't recreate much else. So the, the kind of the whole focus went on went on him. But it is true, a slightly more kind of killer instinct centre forward probably would have taken them. But... The second half, what I didn't like, there was a moment in the second half where they Pioli came out with the match officials and it was just like, oh, what you know, you guys talking about restaurant reservations tonight? It was just all very chummy and pally. And uh, was... I'm not saying the referee had, they had no influence on the, uh, you know, they'd, well, they'd, you they'd, say, they'd never, I don't think they had a lot to do in the that. game. But... Yeah, you say that, but it was, again, watching it, I was out, so wasn't able to listen to the commentary, so unsure whether they made a big deal of it. But there was the opportunity after Kier had been booked and then Sanabria went through on goal and then it looked like on the replay, there is a replay where it looks like Kier is, like, sort of brings him down uh, with the one-on-one with Tassasarano. And like I would, you would expect that's the sort of challenge it would be, at least be referred to VAR to have a little look at. Was no, didn't seem to be any Sort of mention of it being a potential penalty. It's one of those ones which you then know, you look at, look after, look at Twitter, and you sort of like, well, why, why did that not go to a referral? Because it looks like a penalty. Um, so yeah, maybe maybe they were just talking about, oh, thanks, probably kept me in a job for that one uh, from Pioli. And I mean, the bright side is we've improved the uh, Serie A coefficient because Milan go from beating us to then beating uh, Spurs in the Champions League. Yeah, I mean they were. 
I mean, I was when I was watching Milan against uh, against Toro, I was thinking, you know, there's no way they'll do anything against Spurs, but it did seem to to, to kind of galvanise them. The second half, they, I don't know, the fact that they hadn't conceded the goal seemed to give them confidence. And then Hernandez, I didn't think they played particularly well. Um, we we played Singo against him to kind of sing because Singo tends to defend quite well against him, but it was the one kind of crossing opportunity he got. It was. I think I said to you, the Juro's goal reminded me of the goal he scored against England in the World Cup, and it was slightly different, but um, and a little bit of like Jovic's goal for Fiorentina in, in the Coppa Italia. Um, it was a good header, um, but the second half we just didn't show up. It was really, really, really poor. And then it was as the game went on, some of our kind of deficiencies just um, became very clear. I thought, although Singo was brought in to play a role against Hernandez, I thought he just—he doesn't get over the halfway line anymore. Singo, he's just become a very negative fullback, whether out of choice or whether out of um, wh- wh- whether that's how he's being instructed. But uh, and then Rodriguez playing on the wing back the other side just gives us no thrust or penetration. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about this very. Well, quite we criticise Italian football for not giving faith in 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 young players, and then about an hour, oh, I guess about an hour and a half for the kickoff. I mean, the whole week the question was with Richie being injured and Illich not quite being fit as who would play in midfield. Um, and I think everyone wanted Adopo to play, and whether, so the question was, would it be Linetti or Vieira with him? Or but the Zurich had mentioned he was going to find a creative solution in there, and. Some people thought Rodriguez or Vlasic might play in the centre midfield, but um, it was Ginitis, the young Lithuanian from the Primavera who came in. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Let's see if he gets a bit more time than Daniil can. But from 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 the, I don't know, the hair and hand in Leamington Spa, how did how was his performance look? How did, how did he look I, to you? I mean, I just need to recover from the fact that there was talk that Ricardo Rodriguez was going to play centre midfield. That's, that's given me like actual I mean Wait, I don't feel great now but that's made me feel even worse it, I could not imagine did. anything worse than Ricardo Rodriguez playing since we do a man who's got less mobility than you or I I would but, uh, hasten to add probably um, I I actually thought again I was in the, I probably had the significant advantage of I was feeling healthy at this point whereas you probably feel a little bit under the weather and Torino's performance wasn't helping your mood and I was under the influence of alcohol. So, again, much like the uh, Slurnatana game, Torino in the white kit, first half, I was like, oh, we've turned on a Real Madrid game. Um, dominating the dominating midfield with our sort of fifth and sixth choice midfielders, you could say. Um, and, yeah, I thought we were lucky in that first half, probably if if one of the sides was going to have, have scored, it would have been, would have been us. Um, I like. I, I've I've no issue with with Genesis playing. I quite liked it. Bit that being the surprise, there had been a lot of talk that Urich really liked him over the um, after the World Cup break in the friendlies. He played quite a. I think he played a couple of them, and I think he likes that balance of a a left footer, which once Illich is sort of up to speed, you would imagine that Illich will sort of take that place. And whether we'll see much of him is remains well remains to be seen but I yeah I think like you think the second half performance is the, the frustrating thing and there's something that you've seen just far too many times from this Torino side where they just have absolutely no creativity in front of goal uh, even once we conceded you were sort of just like well that's that's the game we with quality teams which you you, you play obviously with the, the reigning champions you're going to expect a moment of quality and Hernandez's and delivery and Giroud is a finisher which Torino can only dream of. But it's such an unavoidable goal because how much space is probably the best left back in the world given to find a cross for one of the best players in the air in the league again. Um and that's that's the frustrating thing. I thought in the first half we, we were really good in getting the ball back and sort of pressing and getting not even allowing Milan to settle. They were a team under pressure. Um, and yeah, we sort of almost gifted them that that goal. And then after then, I, I felt the only chance we had of maybe scoring was with Milan chasing it, trying to get a win. Um, but yeah, they were able to sit back. And 
it's it's another one of those frustrating things. I think that's the, probably the the only concern with this Torino side and Juric is that we we can play well and get nothing for it, and then when we play badly, we still get nothing for it. So for it to get any result, we have to play sort of eighty ninety percent, which is just not sustainable throughout the throughout the course of the season. It. Yeah, I, mean, I guess again, I was in a bit of a bad mood on 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 Friday. I just I just found us dreadfully dull. Um, I didn't really from once Milan squad, I really just didn't fancy us to score. I think we just we're just kind of too nice as a team as well. Just like we should have read the room when, in the first half, and like this is this match is is for the taking. And then yes, there's technical limitations in the team. There's a lack of firepower, but. Um, I just think we should have just been a bit nastier with them and, and played on their lack of confidence. Uh, Ginnett is, I mean, he, I thought he looks a good footballer, very athletic, um, ability, and he got a yellow card about halfway the first half. And I was just like, I could just, I could see him probably picking up second year, see him go off at half time, but then. Once again, when Linetti came on at half time, he just he didn't really add anything. Um, whereas Adopo, I thought was again really good. He doesn't seem to be able to last ninety minutes, um, but he's actually technically uh, he's he really holds on to the ball very well. Um, and I think we're qu- yeah, quite interested to see him actually given a run in the team because in the past he's come in, he's played well for a game, and then we're not seeing him for a month. So whether uh, against Cremonese, whether he gets a game with, I suspect Illich will feature against Cremonese, whether uh, f- from the start, I'm not sure, but it would be good to, yeah, good good for Adopo to get a run in the side. I, I know we're very critical of this, especially myself, but in that in Italian football, youngsters are never really given the opportunity that they need to go out and play in the sort of lower divisions before they're given that chance, but. In a way, I think the difference between how Adopo and Genesis play almost uh, shows the the caution that they have. That actually Adopo's played a couple of seasons in Italy, um, whether it's in Serie B, Serie G, and maybe looks a little bit more composed for it. Whereas Genesis, like this, is, was his professional de- like his senior debut. I know. Well, I say that I'm pretty sure he's made his debut in Lithuania before he's played for a club side, which could be a, a Pub quiz that um, Matthew but, Garbutt did as well, didn't it? Yeah, well, three exactly. no, three no specialise in in playing playing players after their international career started. So. Yeah, which I mean, they say more about the amount of players in Lithuania and New Zealand, but um, yeah, it's just just interesting. Like there is a a bit of an age difference. I think uh, Adopo is twenty two, and I think Genesis is nineteen. Um, so yeah, obviously a natural just experience in in age there, but I this is a season where if it sort of does tail off and it doesn't look like we're going to be able to finish seventh and have that chance of the Europa League or Europa Conference League, I think we do need to look towards the future and I'd rather us play players who are actually going to potentially be here for the next three four years, build them with that experience rather than just playing sort of. I don't know if there's. I mean, using using an example, like we've got players on loan who we might not be redeeming at the end of the season. Ridonjic, I I I quite liked him when he when he came in um, in the start, but I think I'm slowly coming down to your idea that he might his his level might be Serie B, um, and yeah, he I I've never seen him come on. Even and he was like this for Serbia in the World Cup. I've never th- seen him come home and was like, "Oh, this is a man who's going to score a goal he for lunch." He's no, he's done well when he's played against weaker opposition from the start. But he's, I don't think he's influenced the game since coming on. Um, which, which is really strange because he's quick. So you would think that like tired defenses that would sort of play to his his strengths. But yeah, uh, probably been even like. Even Dembasek and Jan Karamo have made more of an impact off the bench where there was obviously less hype around them. Where Radonjic, given the fact that he was quite a high-thought high prospect when he came through at, at Red Star, being at big clubs, Marseille and Benfica, 
you sort of build a picture of okay, this is a sign to be excited about. And then he did start quite well, and you're like, oh well, this is like on a loan, but with a really low redemption fee. Um, whereas yeah, now he's sort of every game he plays, I think he gets worse and worse. I think that one of the mistakes from Juric on Friday was not to play sec from the beginning like it's Fiorentina's. I think the game was quite similar. The spaces were quite similar in the first half and he may have pulled their defence um, in different positions to Sanabria. Um, the other thing I was going to say, you mentioned the seventh place and like, I'll be honest with you, Torino aren't finishing seventh this season. The, the best we can hope for is eighth because uh, whether it happens this weekend, but Juventus will beat us in the derby and uh they will, they will, they will go back into seventh from that point, and we won't go back above them. It's just, it's, um, it's pretty much how I see it. Uh, whether eighth place gets you into Europe will depend on a uh, many different factors beyond our control. But uh, you know, you're trying to make sense of the season. But the other thing I say because I was under the weather this weekend, I watched a lot more Serie A than I normally would, and I, I seem to watch the games with all of the teams around us. And geez, the quality is not great. Uh, I watched Bologna Monza. I mean, Monza is a low as a lot of shit has. I mean, Armando Itza was his classic jumping in front of the camera every time, you know, the goal celebration and just getting himself. But, but Monza were, they were, they were, um, and Bologna were not great. Sassuolo and Udinese. Uh, and uh, I mean, I saw Sampdoria Inter as well, which was different ends of the table. But I just saw a lot of the teams with a similar, similar kind of issues to us. Um, I guess one of the other things I was thinking about last weekend. Well, we keep going on about not having a striker, and um, and even last season when we had the three strikers, we didn't quite think the balance was right. And now we've we've not one of them has gone and not been replaced. But do you, that's a great question on Juric in general. Has Juric ever sat there in a press conference and said, "I want a striker"? He's, he's never what he's never come out and said he's always he's wanted defenders or midfielders. But is he is he got? A, do you think he has? Do you think he doesn't like strikers? He doesn't like teams that are reliant on a twenty goal season. He has a kind of view of football which is a bit more kind of and and a bit different. And it's and you know he wants he wants six midfield players who are going to score five goals each. But it's is it you know is it something there? We it's not we shouldn't be criticizing Vanyati. It's Juric doesn't want a striker because in two years I haven't seen him request a striker and I've just seen us lose strikers. I think one thing that he mentions quite a lot in press conferences is the fact that at Verona, his wing-backs chipped in with a lot more goals. Which... I mean, if you have, yeah, we don't need to hear when I was in Verona anymore. I mean, that's he's, he's kind of just about stopped doing when I was in Verona. Now they're is... kind of almost bottom of the league. But Maybe yeah. this is why uh, Southampton were interested in Juric, because uh, obviously they were used to Nathan Jones talking about how he was one of the best managers in Europe at Luton. Um, so yeah, they just wanted somebody else to talk about their, their past uh, employers. But I, I like, part of me almost understands the logic, though, because, yeah, if you are reliant on a 20-goal-a-season striker, and he gets injured, then you're screwed. Whereas, yeah, if you have got goals without the, throughout the team, whether they come from the wing-backs, centre-backs, like obviously we've missed Bremer, who, who would chip in for sort of three or four in the last couple of seasons, a couple of midfielders, yeah, we are very reliant on a couple of positions to score. Um, and so I think in the logic of it works, but yeah, I think to have, it's just the the lack of options that we've got. Pellegri, you cannot rely on, unfortunately. Sanabria is quite woefully out of form, especially at home. Formed a little bit better when, he, when he's been away. Um, but no one on the team has good numbers for goal scoring. It's not like we have a wing back who, oh, you know, he's, he's going to get seven or eight. He's got kind of freakishly good numbers. None of our centre-backs are scoring. Oh, attacking midfielders three or four it's the kind of minimum I'd, I'd kind of expect from people in that position so goal, goals are a real problem uh, um, and I just, I just kind of wondered I, I kind of wondered whether he yeah I, I, I understand that as well if, you have, if there was past seasons with Belotti where you like praying he didn't get injured because yeah. we didn't really have an alternative and the whole team was built around him whereas now I think and you can take anyone out of his Torino team and and you can adapt, but 
I, I, I do think we need. It doesn't. Not to say that we can't have a. We can't have a greater kind of supply or stock of centre forwards in there. Yeah, I think I think it's it's strange that we don't that there hasn't been more talk. Bear in mind how much Urich does like to maybe complain or or suggest about things that he doesn't have and may have had in Verona. The fact that yeah, he doesn't constantly go on about the lack of depth in in terms of strike or the the lack lack of a sort of really prolific strike. If you're looking, a lot of people compare Urich and with Gasparini because they. Which played in the Gasparini at Genoa, but that Atalanta team in the last four or five years has always had a focal point centre forward, whether it's been Muriel or Zapata, or um, they've got Hjorland uh, at the moment. They've always had a striker who actually not only does he like hold the ball up and sort of plays the the trequatistas and the wing backs into into the game, but they score good numbers of goals as well. So yeah, this is just maybe it's just the sort of the pool that we're fishing in. Unfortunately, where the players we want for this system, or the players that Urich needs for this system, is just a little bit too far away from us. Before we talk about, uh, we're going to talk about Cremonese in a second and do our little little feature after that. Um, before we talk about Cremonese, Urich has been linked. I don't think we need to dwell on this too much, especially because. You know, we don't want to turn people off with Southampton chat, but Urich has been linked uh, with both Leeds actually and Southampton in the last few weeks. Um, it won't happen because uh, for a few reasons, but it's just it kind of made me realize coaches don't leave Italian clubs mid season for other clubs. I've never known it happen. I can't even think of an example. Coaches, even when coaches get fired, they're usually still on the contract. But, but, so I don't think they can. I don't think an Italian coach could go to another Italian team mid-season. No, and so, so, so say yes, say you're say Juric was sacked. Then, oh, so, well, yeah, let's look at our friends Davide Nicola, who's, who's been sacked again at Salernitana. Like we couldn't then appoint him as manager if Juric was to leave to Leeds or Southampton. So that is part of the reason I think where you don't have these mid-season changes. Um, and yeah, I I, I think obviously. Him, the, the there would be more potential of him obviously leaving to go abroad, um. But yeah, it'd be involved more of sort of like buying out of contracts. I think that's partially the reason why Southampton and Leeds probably aren't interested because I think it would be too expensive. But also, um, Juric is is quite an intelligent man. I don't. Oh, could you wait for his press conferences at Leeds? Where he says, "When I was at Torino, I had the best director of football in the world." <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Vagnatu, and and to be honest, like I think even before there was like a, I think there was a brief link. I think it's probably they've looked at managers who are doing quite well around Europe, and Juric's name is always going to be one that comes up because they haven't spent he hasn't spent a lot of money. If you look at net where we were when he took over compared to where we are now, there is usually quite a it's quite a. Um, consistent performance in terms of you sometimes know what you're going to get like sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but the the style of play is relatively always the same uh, there is sort of a methodology there but yeah no as somebody who spent a lot of time in uh, Southampton and Turin uh, I cannot not blame uh, even for not really interested in the move I've, I don't feel I haven't been to Southampton for a long time so I can't comment but um Cremonese this weekend, or I'd say this weekend, it's Monday night. Uh, I think partly because there's another possibly a tennis event taking place in Turin this weekend, uh, right next to the stadium, which might be the reason why it's on Monday night. I'm really trying to avoid doing this thing because we're typical Toro and we, you and I kind of revel in this kind of terrible runs. And um, I feel like we're, we're almost martyrs because, yeah. because then when it ha- if we call it out and it happens, we're like, oh, well, you told you so. Whereas if we say, and it doesn't happen, we'll, we'll just ignore it. But I think every fan of every Serie A team has probably done this for a few weeks now. But Cremonese, it's common on, has not won all season in the league, despite being in the Cup semi-final. They've not won a Serie A match since March 1996. Since uh, their last Serie A win, um, so that's 29 matches of, of 
Torino have beaten them twice. We beat them in April 96. We've beaten them since their last... Uh, we beat them at home in April 96. We beat them earlier this season. So we've beaten them twice since they last won the Serie A match, which is pretty, pretty incredible. So the obvious thing to say is, you know, we will, we will give Cremonese their first victory of the season. Um, there's not a huge precedent for... Because they've not spent many seasons in Serie A, so... We've only lost once to them home in the top flight, which was back in 1930. Um, it's an interesting one because their success in the cup has been built, has come against Napoli and, and Roma away, um, where they've obviously defended very well and had a bit of luck and um, scored goals at the right time. They, they, you know that, that template of the Spezia and the Verona recently to come to Torino for a straight um, get a result score with your first attack does seem to probably be the Cremonese um, will be the Cremonese tactics but they've got a very kind of eclectic squad of me a bit of Venezia last season which another team that we didn't manage to beat um, Ballardini has probably got them to be a little bit more solid than than they were previously um, so it's quite a hard one to call. It's like, what what is going to happen? Are Torino going to finally score more than two goals and make a game easy? Or are Cremonese going to come and, and win 1-0 and suck the life out of, of a Monday night? How are you feeling? I feel like, as Torino fans, we are sort of always preconditioned to expect the worst. And yeah, if there, it is, like we say, if there is one team who would lose this game to Cremonese, having not won all season, it would be Torino. The fact that they've started the last game with two former Torino players in their starting eleven in uh, Suelio Mete and Marco Benassi makes you think, oh, which one of those is going to score? Um, I'll, I'll make a change, uh, change the habit of a lifetime. I'm, I'm feeling pretty crap, but I'll try and have a little bit of uh, optimism and that I think maybe we will. Maybe we will win. We will, win. and I'll go for a um, I'll go for a two-one Torino victory. Four-one. That's the one we didn't get against Udinese. We were, we were saving for for Crema. Um, yeah, let's finally score score some goals at home, and uh, whatever happens, we'll be in seventh place going into the derby the following week if we beat Cremonese, which I think is. Yeah, it'll set the derby up nicely. If if I think Juve have got Spezia this weekend, so they should win. So I guess Torino and Juve will be seventh and eighth going into to Derby for the big uh, Europa Conference League playoff. Exciting time. Um, shall we? Shall we get on to our feature for a bit of a uh, bit of samba. Let's go for it. Uh, a, a bit of bad bad boys and drunkards. Let's go for it. Sfilare, non arriva Tevez, non arriva Pogba. Arriva invece Bruno Perez, che può provare a partire. Prende in velocità Evra. Occhio alla corsa di Bruno Perez, che se ne va fino in fondo. Ci sono Quagliarelli e Mauri. Prova col destro! Un gol su gol pazzesco! Un gol pazzesco di Perez! Ma cosa ha fatto? Welcome back to, uh, to two sick and tired lads doing episode 33 of Talking Toro, but uh, plenty of enthusiasm left. Um, that was the audio of uh, a clip from a fairly recent Turin derby, uh, a very famous coast-to-coast goal from a certain Bruno Perez. Um, we're not going to talk the derby, we're talking Brazilians uh, this week, Robert, because after our not, flying not success that, of our <laughs> flying success of our Balkan eleven, um, yeah, there's not, there's probably not many countries where I could field an actual eleven of 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 players come from that country defeat to Milan correctly and that wasn't you um, and the second thing was last week we talked to merchandise um, to an RFC merchandise and uh, Urbano Cairo did get in touch with me to correct me well he didn't really but I came across something so in addition to what we said last week apparently there is a pop-up store in the stadium don't know where don't know what part of the stadium but apparently there is one and there is a kind of Torino store now in um, La Rinascente shopping um, center or it's a department store is probably the better word um, in the center of Turin probably you'd need to know it was there to find it but there is a kind of another place in the central Turin if you're going on uh, I think it's on Via Lagrange to to go and buy Toro merchandise so but, just 
Doing, just doing my bit for uh, for cleaning up from last week. Yeah, very. Um, it's a very small selection uh, of Serena merchandise. It is basically, if you want a shirt, you could be able to you'd be able to buy one there. But yeah, anybody who doesn't want to spend ninety euros on a shirt might be uh, struggling to find a uh, souvenir. All right. Well, if you get a shirt, we haven't got any Brazilian. I don't think we've got any Brazilians this season, but we have had plenty of Brazilians, and so we're doing our Brazilian eleven. Um, Rob is. Uh, before we get into it, I think there's a few categories of Brazilians at Torino. There was a very brief spell, like the mid '80s, early '90s, where world class, genuine Celestial starting eleven Brazilians turned up and played for Torino. That hasn't happened pretty much either side of that. Um, then there's been like unknowns who've come in and we've polished them up and have become pretty good players. Um, then there's the absolutely, I'd say, average slash terrible, I'd call them Italian journeyman. Yeah. So just Italians who've been washed in, uh, Brazilians who've been in the Italian system so long they've become Italian. Um, and then there's just the outright terrifyingly terrible Brazilian flop. Um, so I've come across a few different ones of these. Um, what formation? I've gone for a four-two-four formation. Are you, are you uh, comfortable uh, with that with your eleven? Or yeah, mine's that mine's a four-four-two. Um, so yeah, I can, I can work the four-two-four, and I do have like players I don't really want in this team. So I, I've only got one player who's sort of naturally out of position. Um, okay. So yeah, I think we we're gonna have to be just because it was there are. I think there's. Probably more strikers who more Brazilian strikers than any other position. So that's probably been a little bit problematic where there might only be one left back or one centre midfielder, one goalkeeper, I think. Because I did find a couple of like Brazilians who played for Torino in the thirties, forties, fifties and sixties. My knowledge of Torino isn't isn't even that good. So I've, I've tried to cut those out. Wait, no, you don't want to cut them out. There's some good stories there. <laughs> but anyway, this I, I'm pretty sure this will be a good night out. Um, you said you've only got one player out of position. I'm going to start with one out of position because that's Rubinho in goal. <laughs> is that harsh? But yeah, Rubinho is our, I think we're our one and only Brazilian keeper. Like you said, there have been players in the 30s and 40s. I did my best research and I don't think any of them were goalkeepers. So Rubinho was a goalkeeper. I kind of, pretty much our first choice in one of our worst ever seasons. I said that was one season I I, I was travelling quite a lot that year. There's a season I didn't connect with, so I don't really... How bad was Rubinho, or was he not that bad? No, he was pretty bad. I remember him playing for, for Genoa, I think, before he played for Torino, thinking, oh, he's not very good. And yeah, then he came to Torino, and he wasn't very good. Um, yeah. It, all and he went to Juventus as well, which, which didn't really help either, did it? <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, to be a third choice goalkeeper at Juventus, it probably earned him more money than he got as a first choice at, at Genoa or Torino. But I think if you think of a Brazilian goalkeeper, you think eccentric. You think maybe being good with his feet might not be the best at, at making saves and may make the odd mistake eccentric, but is, is the word that would come to mind. And yeah, I think Rubinho would. would Sort of fit in with all those categories. Um, are we allowed to mention his eyebrows? I think his eyebrows were probably his most distinguishing feature. You already have, so I yeah, <laughs> they're quite bushy, weren't they? Yeah, just yeah. um, yeah, just yeah, bit of a yeah, a mono brow is that what it's called? It just just goes to get like just goes together. Sorry, I'm I'm I'm, I'm I feel. I'm so sick. I don't. Actually, I'm unaware that this is a podcast and people can't see me. But yeah, that was me monitoring or gesturing to what a monobrow is. Um, but yeah, no, not. Um, we said, he wouldn't be. He wouldn't be making we, like we said. Top we don't, Twenty of no body of, hair of, chat of and it's Brazilian features. So. <laughs> That's the only the only bit of body hair chat. But um, yeah, he, he wouldn't. If, if you were going to make a list of the twenty best Torino goalkeepers, he wouldn't feature. I think we move. Vino's got his place because he he happens to be the one and only. Uh, full, so who have you got? At, I'll tell you who. Well, you, who have you got? At, I guess we've got at least one fullback in common. Bruno Perez on the right. Correct. And who have you got on the left? <laughs> Again, I think this is another one which is just by um, 
virtue of being the only player who I could sort of detect as being a left back. So Danilo Avila. Yeah, Danilo Avila. Of, um, he got into, he got into trouble recently playing computer games. I think didn't he? So or he got he got sacked by Corinthians for wow. uh, um, things he was. Get, get into it anymore. Uh, Danilo Avala, yeah, he came as quite an elegant left back from Cagliari and just was cropped. He was injured the whole time. Um, so I've gone for Bruno Perez as well on the right. Um, and then I've gone for Ronaldo Vanin on the left, who was, I think, just the symbol of... I think Torino have often had Brazilians in the youth team and Ronaldo Vanin was like in the years of... Lots of crappy years at the kind of early 2000s. It was always this lad in the youth team who was going to be the future of, of Torino and uh, he's going to be the next big thing, blah, blah, blah. Do you he say that of, if that, has changed, that hasn't changed? Like, we still yeah, do but that now. This, I remember we very literally just thought, we just literally thought five minutes about uh, Giannisi. But at least Giannisi's got to play, whereas this guy, he did, he did eventually play play some back end of season games but for, he was like the great hope for a long time Ronaldo Vanin I'm not even convinced he was a left back he was certainly kind of wing backy um, but I just think he kind of represents that young Brazilian being plucked to come and play in Italy and then he spent his he spent his entire career in like the Italian lower leagues he's not not left Italy so he, we kind of in a way we've done the right thing we've we've trained up one of those kind of uh, journeymen Brazilians to become Italian and I just think that's quite fitting. Whereas then Danilo Avila came in, got injured, and 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 we gave him the flick. So yeah, no, I think I, that's, that's fair enough. We can we can let Avila go home and play his Call of Duty or whatever. And then on the right, we've got so Bruno Perez. This kind of my memory of Bruno Perez is he came in. There were some kind of issues with getting him registered. So, so um, he he wasn't registered for the Europa League squad. No, it was a big, big regret. A big yeah, regret. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and he, then he, he just turned out that he was actually quite good. But he arrived, he wasn't, he came, again, he was one of a bit, probably in the Bremer category, I guess, bit unknown, not much fanfare. I think he was a reserve at Santos, um, or I think it was possibly from Santos, or was he from Santos? Um, but a reserve, and then that all changed, that goal we the audio clip we heard earlier were in, the, in in the derby. I, I seem to think he played just before the derby, he may he may have even scored or contributed to a goal in a defeat at home to Hellas. Oh, I want to say came yeah, off the bench. A, uh, do you know what he did when he came on that game? What? He came on, he won a penalty. Do you know he ah. missed a penalty? Was it another Brazilian? No, no. It's Omar, Omar Al Kadori missed a penalty. Well, I just I've wiped that out of my memory. There I had um, I had Tommy Lee Jones and won't Denver be like in this pod- won't be like in this podcast, Omar. Will you? I won't tag him in. <laughs> so yeah, that was his. He cut. He did break into the team, and then, um, yeah, we had him for two seasons. He was very good going forward. I mean, in in that, he was just a player who could, who could, yeah, kind of do something. In a mention of frustration earlier on Singo, is just Singo actually is the closest when he broke through. It looked like oh, he could be another Perez. Um, but he's that, that doesn't seem to have developed in his game. But Perez is very good for two seasons. I just feel he kind of fits in with that. He's had a bit of a strange career since. Obviously went to Roma, ended up on loan in the Brazilian second division for a while, then came back to Roma. But I think he likes a night out, to be fair, doesn't he? So he'd, get, he'd do pretty well in this team. I think he, yeah. I can't remember at Torino itself whether we had issues with him. Um, I think, maybe that, I think there get were reports. some issues when he wanted to leave. I think not in terms of sort of like maybe discipline or something, but I, I think maybe the majority of Torino fans probably don't remember him as fondly because I think he did sort of. He really made a big move to to be transferred, um, which I think actually, if you think really how his career's gone, he has almost made his career, especially in Italy, based on that one goal. Like it wasn't something that was a they ever replicated. I, mean, I think he may have scored a couple more goals, but yeah, it's got a very I good mean, goal against that, not, that, not that, yeah, but yeah. I think I, I think I could have scored against that Sampdoria side, but I don't think that 
I not it does sound like I'm expecting him to have scored like sixty sixty yard coast to coast goals against Juventus every like every time we played him. But yeah, that was just a special moment. I think he will always go down. I I I, I quite like. I think he played for clubs on four at the moment. And any time I see him in a, on a sort of team sheet or something, I still, still sort of remember that goal. It still went. Um, bear in mind that we hadn't scored. That was the first goal in a derby since 2002, was it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it so, was... yeah. He, he, there was such a such a long time to score to break that drought in in such a fashion. It was, yeah, a goal that I don't think will ever be forgotten by um, by Torino fans. I dread to think who your centre backs might be. But, well, um, I've, had, I've had to play somebody out of a position, so I think our centre backs will will be the same. Well, who are your centre backs? Bremer, yeah, and Leandro Castan. So I I wrestled a bit. I think Bremer, on a kind of sporting level, has to be in there. Has been our pretty sure our best Brazilian centre back. Yeah, easily our best Brazilian centre back. And just that classic journey of being picked up as a relative unknown from from Brazil and and turning out to be Torino's biggest ever sale. Um, yeah, unfortunate that he went to Juventus. And then I think your choice of partner for, for Bremer is quite, some quite interesting options. So uh, I'll go through some of the ones neither of us have chosen. So Carlao, who I think we discussed in our Toro quiz, and I don't think we need to spend too much more time on him. Um do I mention him? But there's the. Uh... I'm sure he's. I think whoever you're going to mention is going to get mentioned later on in my team. Okay, so the six-letter word at Southampton, we will uh, we'll we pass on because you want to mention him. I think you've put him some. I think you might have put him as number ten in this team or something. <laughs> uh is not my second centre back. Castan, I did think about because he was the one guy in that Mihailovic team before he got injured. Looked like he might be able to defend. Um. And, and to me, the story about Castan is actually quite sad because I think he was sure. quite a high-level defender before he had quite a significant head injury, and he sort of came to Torino on the sort of on the comeback. And yeah, like so for for three or four months, he did look like he was by far the best defender in that in that team. But yeah, I think whether it was just a, a recurrence of the the injury or the or the issues that he's had, but yeah, no, I, I always I always quite liked Castan when he played, but. Yeah, a bit, a bit of a a shame you, how his career turned out. Did you always? I always thought Castan, I don't know, played a bit more like an Argentine than a Brazilian. But uh, it, I, I, when I did this list, I was like double checked. Oh, Castan was Brazilian. Yeah, I just, yeah. Part of me always I, thinks he was an Argentinian player. But I, I mean, this is probably get onto this maybe later on. But one of my biggest frustrations during the World Cup was this idea that Brazil play this beautiful football when they were talking about and the Brazil side of the World Cup a lot of people in my opinion and I'm not feeling very well so I'm I'm just going to say how it is I think a lot of people just sort of like the idea of Brazil more than the reality Brazil's centre midfields it was Casemiro Fred Lucas Paqueta like these these players wouldn't lace the boots of Brazilians in the past but just because they were wearing a yellow shirt they would think, oh wow, isn't that amazing? It's like they're. I don't think the the current Brazil team is anywhere near as good as the team for a sort of the eighties, seventies, eighties, nineties. Obviously, I wasn't aware around for the seventies and eighties, but yeah, I think sometimes the Brazil, the myth of that sort of Brazil shirt and samba football, like a lot. I mean, the fact I mean, Danny Alves got in the squad, like this. The fact that Brazil got knocked out quite prematurely in the World Cup wasn't a shock, and you'll disagree with this, but yeah, I, I prefer Argentina. But I just feel this Brazil team was uh, the Brazil team in the World Cup, which is kind of deviating. I think was a little bit, at least a little bit tactically closer to some of the Brazil teams. At least they played some forward players, whereas some of them in re- some of them in the one or two World Cups before have been even worse. But I know what you're saying. There's a um, it's There's almost always... like with it's to a lesser extent possibly Holland being the European equivalent. Where yeah, it's I mean, like, like people, yeah, total football, sexy football, and then you two know the down against Argentina, you bring on Valtweikost, and you go long ball. Like, but this, this wait till you get to the attack of this Torino Brazil team. We're we're taking it back to we're taking it back to Mexico seventy. Um, but my centre back, okay, enough kind of dancing around subject. My centre back is Andre Cruz, okay. who. I was really when Torino signed this player, I was so excited because he was 
Uh, he was slow as anything, but he was a Brazilian international, played in the 98 World Cup year before we signed him. He'd been at Napoli f- um, for a while. And he was just kind of this free, quick, free kick specialist, uh, beautiful left foot. Um, and then he'd gone to Milan for a year, I think, and then we'd, we'd picked him up. But he'd got to that point in where his career where he'd yeah, he he was t- absolutely terrible when we signed him. He, I think he played the same number of games as Castan did in the end. Um, but I think part of me is just put him in in this team is to give him another chance in a Torino shirt and see what he can do next to Bremer because he was a he he was a terrific player, Andre Cruz, and um, yeah, as I said, he's probably one of the one of those signings that has been been the most disappointing over the last 30 years in a way because I was just you had such high hopes for him um and it's yeah it had he 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 didn't put Lianco in there we will talk about in a minute but he he was good on the ball Andre Cruz and but could defend you know so I think sticking next to Bremer would be not a bad partnership although Bremer doesn't always like playing in the four so um so he would be my choice anyway, but he didn't have a great Torino spell, to say the least. I do feel the need to make a caveat for my team, because obviously in the defence is where we sort of had options of players that I could remember playing and like I watched for Torino. Sort of just thrown that away, that logic that we try and do when we did the Tour here and Villains, like only pick players who played in your era. Is it was just slim pickings in terms of midfield and strikers. It midfield was slim pickings in that like there were no other alternatives. Strikers, there were alternatives, but they were so bad I went for the actual good players. Um so yeah, just a, a caveat before we get on to that, just thinking just before everyone wonders what why Rob started to pick players that he's never seen play. Yeah, I mean I picked some of the players I've never seen play as well, but uh we get on when we get on Enough to about Daniels and Gabby and after. <laughs> well that's yeah. Um He is so... in my team. So, well, let's get on to that. He won't, he won't be in the final team, trust me, because I'm getting the final vote. But uh, we're just, let's recap on the defence. So, Rubinho and goal, Bruno Perez, Bremer, um, you very kindly let me have Ronaldo Vanin. So, are we going for Andre Cruz or are you still preferring Castan? I would go Castan because I think he, if you think of Castan, it's almost like an amalgamation of that season with Carlisle and Castan. That's like two Brazilians in one. That Almost, you've got Castan for the first half of the season and you can bring Carlisle in for the second half of the season. I okay, think that, let... that season where, like, it's a bit... It's almost a bit of an insult to say that he was the best defender uh, uh, in that team, just because of how... Or best, best centre-back in that team, just when you think about how bad the other ones were. Like, Arlene Dejeti, Luca Rossettini, uh... Galau, I probably missed somebody. Like, uh, Castan was... Uh, Emiliano Moretti. Yeah. Well, he didn't... Mihailovic <laughs> didn't like him for a while. No, yeah, yeah, too, exactly. too, co- and too competent. In, yeah, played in the four, so yeah, maybe that's why Moretti didn't get a sniff. But uh, yeah, no, I, th- I think Castan uh, probably deserves it just in, in terms of... Uh, again, I don't I don't particularly remember Cruz's... Well, no, not particularly. I don't remember his spell at Torino, but also, yeah, I think Castan sums up a bit more peak Torino um, for, for this team. All right, so that's the defence. So midfield, um, so as I say, I've got two in midfield and I'm, I'm getting excited about the four up front. So uh, midfield, um, I'll give you my two. My two, Leo uh, Junior, who I think is going to be the captain of his team, probably the, the most... Uh, uh, iconic Torino players of all time. Would, um, would you say the best Brazilian player that Torino have ever had? Possibly, yeah. Probably. I think just in terms of reputation, I think, I think, I mean, I didn't see Junior play for Torino, so I'm kind of saying, I do wonder sometimes legend, if I look, if I read about Junior, at least at Torino, I think he was exceptional in the first season and then pretty decent in the other two seasons. He could play left back as well, actually. Uh, he did play left Brazil. Um, but played mostly in a playmaker role for Torino. And I just think he's 86 Brazil squad. He's the most kind of peak. So do you know who I've got in um, junior then? So I've really got Berto and Edu. So my my choice to play in there is um, 
will also be a tip of your tongue as well, is Fernando Giudicelli, who was uh, a Brazilian from the 1930 World Cup, who played for Torino, one of two players from the Brazil 1930 team to go on to play for Torino. Junior and Gigi Kelly, I think they'll be the perfect platform for uh, the four-pronged attack. I hate I mean, to think you, who you've got in midfield. That's some sensational research there, Peter. I don't think anybody can um, compete with that. No, again, I, I tried to at least go for players that I'd heard of. <laughs> this team is one thing to talk about players that you uh, have never seen play but yeah I, I tried to actually make it an argument for them obviously I've you're going to go super attacking with your four attackers so I think what we need is really just a, another centre-back really and what oh, you, could put Andre, you could put Andre Cruz in midfield well, he'd be I, very good in there I have a memory of this and I don't know whether it, it, it ever happened but I think this man Southampton's mm. um, fifth best centre-back. Um, it is Lianco. He is in the team. He's um, not. Well, he's in my team. Uh, but he... I swear he came on for Torino and played centre midfield. He probably wasn't supposed to. <laughs> I think... No, I, to be honest, I, 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 I like Lianco because he's a court figure. He isn't very good. He just anybody who's watched him in the Premier League this season, especially, he's he's just sort of trying to, it, he he spent his time evenly trying to wind up his opponent, opponent, and then just try and avoid making a mistake, which then he manages for the majority of the game and then makes a crucial mistake, which will cost them to the goal. Um, yeah, Lianco was my pick just in, based on the fact that we don't have any of the centre backs, uh, centre midfielders. Sorry. Um. Not quite sure about your your pick, but yeah, no, I'm not going anyway. to. A... All right, it's enough about Lianco. He's not getting in. Um, I think the forwards is far more interesting uh, in this team. So I guess the vast majority of Brazilians who have played for Torino have been forwards. So I've got four of them. Uh, I wonder if we agree on any of these, uh, Robert. So I'll, I'll name them. I'll name, well, I'll see who I've got. Walter Casagrande, does he make your team? Yes. Muller. Yes. That's two. So the other two are going to be interested. I think this is where we may differ. So um, who would be your other two? So uh, what one is, I'll go for the one who I don't think is in your team, and the other one definitely is. So I've gone for Danielson Gabionetta again, because as it almost as an emblem of the, the Torino chasing a player for an entire transfer window, maybe even two or three and I think what happened with Gabionetta then he eventually arrives and he's absolutely dreadful um, and I don't think anybody sums that up better than Gabionetta I, like, I, I can't even really remember, I'm not 100% sure he exists to be honest, I think he could be just a figment of my imagination. But... He was in that black hole of the 10-11 season was he? Yeah, yeah. Um, but there was a lot of talk about him signing probably for a year, maybe two years beforehand or at least two sort of Trans windows beforehand. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't re- like obviously I knew he was a winger. I couldn't really tell you any game or or anything that he did in the Torino shirt. I think it was Crotone that he probably made his name at. Um, well, he must have been with Lerder at Crotone, I guess was part yeah, of the link. So that well, would so. that would make some sort of sense. But yeah, no, he uh, he had made is making my team just as that um, because again I'd already played. But Lianco and certainly midfield, so I didn't want to play anybody too far out of position. And um yeah, it almost sums up that, that summer scandal 
some sort of scandal or ideal idea that we're chase a player for the whole transfer window, like like your Lucas Torreira's in the past and um, Almiron. Yeah, Sergio Almiron. Um, you've got players who almost you can and and to be honest, I think everybody almost expected the same thing to, to happen with even even Illich, but we actually managed to get what, that one over the line. But yeah, you, who's your fourth musketeer then? It's, well, it's your it's your mate Pinga. Uh, I'm absolutely mortified that I never got to watch uh, Pinga play because I think I'd it, like he would. I think he, if I was watching Serena whilst he was playing, I think he'd be up there in the sort of court hero uh, possibilities alongside like Elmar Alcaduri and uh, Rolando Bianchi. I mean, anybody who plays football with a bandana. Yeah, well, there's a few things to do here. I guess there's a few. Uh, let's just quickly tick off the Brazilians who didn't make either of our teams. So no Barreto, uh, no Jonathas, uh, and Inacio Pia, who um, he must have been one of that collection of, of a journeyman uh, forwards as well. So they didn't make it. Uh, oh, and that means I know who your fourth is. Well, let, let's see. Um, so of the three we agree on, I mean, this starts with Bruno Perez, uh, it starts to become a quite a good night out because Muller was, I've, I think Muller was a bit of a cross between Bebeto and uh, Romario in some senses, but he he wasn't, I didn't realise he was in the 94 World Cup winning squad as well after he'd left Torino. Uh, he was in the 1990 World Cup squad as a Serie B player for Torino. And, and uh, Muller was the last Torino player to score in the World Cup since? He... Well, Niang, but until, um, <laughs> until, until Niang scored, yeah. But Muller, um, uh, Muller was clear, clearly a character and went very live wide, pacey, centre forward or wide forward. But um, and when he was on his game, he he looked unplayable. But I think there were kind of several occasions where he wasn't as on his game. But um, I actually found I did a bit of research for this and looked back at some of his goals and. Um, there was a goal against, well, I call it a goal, a piece of skill against Inter where we won 2-0. Um, but the footage is so great. And I thought this is, I actually was going to send you the clip and say this is the best Torino goal I've ever seen because he back heels it on the edge of the box, uh, beats like beats two, two defenders of great bit of skill. Uh, and the footage goes so fast. I was like, I'll, I'll, I'll try and find a better footage. And when I find a better footage, the shot goes wide, actually. It was just... <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, it's just, I lost a bit too much time there. And then talking about futile things. So, so Pinga um, was a, yeah, it's a real cult, cult hero. He, um, part of the Primavera team, he'd been plucked for the, plucked for the Primavera. And going back to the Channel 4 days, uh, one of the rare occasions Torino in the late 90s won a live match on it. I think it might have been his debut, or at least his full debut scored twice against Milan in a 2 2 draw. The second goal is a thing of beauty as well to and this one does go in the back of the net definitely worth checking out and then Pinga we sent him out alone he came and then he came back a few times uh and he had a car crash uh one summer which left him with scars um and so he decided to play with a bandana um and then Torino FC in a rare bit of uh, genius marketing started selling these bandanas to fans and I went looking for my bandana early and I think it's not in my office it's at home but then I went down a yeah, went down a rabbit hole with loads of a Torino memorabilia. But Inga was, yeah, left-sided, very talented player. Again, like a bit like Bruno Perez, could put on weight quite easily, which I think fits in well with his... There's a few of them in this team as well. Um, when he wasn't... On, when he didn't fancy it, it wasn't great. When he did fancy it, he was very good. I mean, that is kind of lower Serie A, upper Serie B level. And then, yeah, just had a very strange career tra- trajectory where he just spent a lot of time in the Emirates and uh, never came back to Europe. But yeah, so Pinga, we've got Pinga and Muller and then Walter Casagrande as well is, had a very, he was, looked like a stretched out Socrates, didn't he? He had the beard and the long hair and he'd been, he'd been a brilliant uh, partnership with Socrates, I think at Corinthians in the 80s. He was a Brazilian international, but one of the most unconventional, like it was a target man basically and you don't get, many six foot four Brazilian target men. He wasn't always um wasn't always kind of the most technically perfect player, can we say, but um and in the time of Torino he didn't score as 
he scored a lot of important goals and was part of that team that beat Real Madrid. He scored in that match, scored in the final of the UEFA Cup against Ajax um, and was in the squad for the Coppa Italia win. So of the last great Torino team who's an integral part, but very un-Brazilian Brazilian. And he's had um, he's had a lot of issues post his playing career with drugs and alcohol, which he's... Um, yeah, and, and which is uh, seemingly um, uh, kind of surpassed, and uh, is is like a lot of his players as well are quite well known um, pundits in Brazil. I think Muller's a pretty well known pundit in Brazil as well. But Casa Grande, yeah, just another kind of yeah, real colourful character. So they're my they're my three, but the fourth one, maybe the most colourful character of all. I don't know who you're thinking I might have chosen. Who are you thinking I might have chosen? Is it Amari? Oh no, no! I, I did think about Amari because I had this thing where Amari was the classic. He's apart from a brief spell in Switzerland, has played his entire career in Italy. Amari might not actually be Brazilian, for all we know. Uh, <laughs> he may just, he may have found like a way of getting scouts to notice him. Uh, like his name may be kind of. Ricardo Amoroso or something, and he just changed his name to a Maori. And um, because he's never, what, he, he never played he, in Brazil, he is an Ita- Italian international. So does that mean he's ineligible? I say he is, as if he like he's about to get a call at fourteen. Well, is not actually my choice, but when I did think about him, I, I remember that kind of mid two thousand. I was thinking I'd, I got a, want a kind of a bit of a bad boy eleven and. I seem to remember a Maori being in like the gossip columns and stuff. But when I went back to research this, it might have been, I might be confusing him with someone else. But no, my choice is, uh, you know, sometimes one of the great things about supporting Serena is when you discover those little stories for the first time. So whether it was, I get there when that you first learn about Superga or Meroni or, um, um, what I, I remember when I learned that the baddie in the Italian job, Raffaloni, the actor, played won the Coppa yeah. Italia with Torino in the nineteen forties. I mean, that might uh, be the best football it, uh, sort of related to that ever, though. Yeah, that is an absolutely epic story. Um, but then the one that I discovered this week, and I've done my best to, to verify it. But the the other forward I have is by the name of uh, Yezora Melfi. So when I googled him. Actually, found it was one of those bunch of Torino players uh, who's now passed away and played in the 1950s. But immediately found a picture, guy with a very neat moustache. And I thought, okay, did massive like Wikipedia page in Portuguese. So did some digging. So this guy in the 1950s dated Sofia Loren and Bridget Bardot, was a friend of Pablo Picasso, and introduced um, Prince uh, Reina of Monaco to Grace Kelly. The man was the ultimate social butterfly of the 1950s. Um, yes, what the, he played for Torino post-Superga for a season, scored two in uh, 27. And apparently uh, 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 when he died in 2014, his son said, oh yeah, like um, Sophia Loren. It, you know, all these kind of famous uh, famous women of the time would, like, he, he would run away. He would like hide from them and... and uh, and they would, they would try and find him in Brazil and things. There's a whole kind of, yeah, a whole kind of playboy story there that I just didn't know about this kind of, yeah, otherwise journeyman Torino striker from the 1950s. Um, this could all be, you know, this could all be untrue, but um, I'd like to think it is true. And it's, it's I mean, it's, I read in the obituary and it seems to be, yeah, it seems, it, it seems to be true, but... That, yeah, we had a striker who had some friendships with some of the most famous people of the era. Um, I think that might be a, a, a Maori somehow. But... Well, I, I, I'm not. I'm a bit stunned, really. I'm not quite sure how to uh, how to respond to that. I've, I've given him a quick Google, um, and I, I've, I've quickly found somebody who could be his son. Yes, I'm Alfie Junior. Um, so yeah, we might not be taking in the uh, we might not be definitely not taking in Amari on this podcast, but yeah, maybe um, maybe we can we can sort of try and get a little bit of confirmation about his his time at Torino. But yeah, 
I'm I'm more than happy for the sort of the the playboy of the who would be the modern day equivalent, I suppose, of the. I mean, uh, yeah, I don't... the Yeso Amalfi in the in the 2020s, no, the playboy it's, of the the David Beckham big... of the, the Brazilian David Beckham in the 50s. Maybe I don't. I'm not sure. I know he played for Marseille, so he was playing in the south of France as well. But um, yeah, when I came across that story, I was just like, perfect, perfect. Uh, I think that'd be good. I think Casa Grande, Pinga, Muller, Amalfi, and Bruno Perez on a night out would be would be decent. I mean, you might even want to get Lianco on that night out. If it was a night out, sick uh, five aside team, Lianco might might be allowed to carry the kit. You'd, you'd think he'd really have had a spell at uh, Salernitano rather than Torino and uh, saw his uh, days out on the Amalfi Coast. Yeah, or Napoli as well. Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah. All right. Well, we've, we may have got there of a Brazilian 11 in the end. So it's Rubinho in goal, Bruno Perez, uh, Leandro Castan, Gleison Bremer, and Ronaldo Vanin in defence, which I think is better than the Baltic 11 defence. Um, Junior. And then the the Fernando Giudicelli from the nineteen thirty World Cup. I mean, that's that just sounds like a very sensible uh, midfield platform because you because you've just got four four, four wild cards up front, four absolute tearaways from um, yeah Muller, Casagrande, Amalfi, and Pinga. I mean, they're not just, they're not just... going to fancy it. They're not going to fancy it. Sassuolo on a misty. Uh, <laughs> January seven o'clock kickoff, are they? Just quickly on Pinger, any idea what the nickname came from? The actual name Pinger. Yeah, just uh, just uh, that is like sometimes with the Brazilian, um, their sort of nickname, you can sort of see where it's come from, and uh, yeah, Pinger's name is actually Andre Luciano da Silva. Yeah, I'm not um, sure. I think I may have, um, I may have known it at some point. Oh. Or maybe I'll research it for next week. But yeah, um, there you go. A bit, more, honestly, ho- bit I, more homework for Peter. But I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure we'll be able to do. People might be thankful, but I'm not sure that many other countries will be able to do this. For it might be. Uh, we could definitely we, do a five-a-side team for Uruguay. I think an Argentina-Uruguay combined eleven. Yeah. Um, that's good well, Ur- Uruguay with we've I've definitely had a Uruguayan goalkeeper, so we'll see. But yeah, we might we might uh, revive this concept in a few weeks or months' yeah. time, but. I mean, I think put it out to the people as well. I mean, if this is something you want to see, or if there's a particular uh, type of eleven that you'd like us to put together, um, we we can try and put sort of our our heads together and see what we can work out. But yeah, not the not the most highbrow of uh, podcast content, but yeah, it keeps us entertained. And yeah, it brings it. Part of the reason we want to do this is there's stories that we we mention with these players who we include in these elevens who wouldn't quite fit in the Toro Hero, Hero or Toro Villain category. Uh, so yeah, somebody like Pinga being sort of a, a cult hero, um, probably not enough to be a, a main hero, but certainly not another villain either. So it gives us opportunity to sort of talk about these players who uh, otherwise we, we might have uh, missed. Apologies if there was a, a few technical issues in uh, earlier in the pod, it's all, all Rob's fault. He, yeah, threw a, he threw a tantrum when I wouldn't let Lianco in the team. I'll, I'll, I'll take the point. Like, uh, Southampton are getting relegated. Torino can't score more than two goals in a game. And yeah, I'm I'm not feeling very well. So yeah, just Lianco just told me, threw me over the edge. All right, Rob, you rest up, get some lem sips. Um, and for Totoro. For Totoro. <laughs>